Welcome, welcome. I'm really glad you guys are here and that you actually, some of you, how many guys, let me start us off. How many of you guys actually have Thanksgiving plans this week? You have the Thanksgiving plans, right? Wow, awesome. How many? Uh, it's your birthday? Oh, happy birthday. Awesome. I'm glad to see you guys here. How many of you guys have a bunch of family coming over, extended family coming over for Thanksgiving, or you're going somewhere for Thanksgiving with a bunch of family, right? Awesome, awesome. How many of you, now here's the real question, how many of you guys are cooking for Thanksgiving? Like you're responsible for the cooking. Whew. Bless your heart, man. Bless your heart. How many of you are like me and you're bringing a store-bought pie? Yeah, because it ain't happening over here. Uh, last question, how many of you guys, the real question, how many of you guys got family that's going to be coming over, but you got that weird relative coming over that you're trying to avoid? Anyone have that one? Oh, that's me. I would say I am that one as well, Ron. I'm with you. I'm with you. But it's so funny, Thanksgiving time, and, and my family is always so weird. I come from a Hispanic family, so, like, it's just a weird, I, I didn't realize it was weird until, like, I, I had my, my wife, and, like, we were dating, we'd bring, like, our, our, like, she was my girlfriend then over, and it's just the weirdest Thanksgiving because it's like mashed potatoes, okay, turkey, okay, tacos, what are tacos there? You know, that's a lot of chips going on, like a lot of enchiladas, like, and then someone bring cranberries and they'd all get a dirty, dirty look from everyone, like, what the heck is that? Where do I put that on? Do I dip my chips in it? It makes no sense. But I had, my whole house is just filled with the characters that you don't want to encounter on Thanksgiving, that you try to avoid the weird uncle, the weird aunt, the crazy cousin, the weird nephew or niece, you know, just the, that kid that just bashes his head in the wall and kills all the fish he has. That's my whole family. And uh, I, one thing, I've, I've come to embrace it. I, I love my family very dearly. I, honestly, I think about it. I lived in Sacramento for a little while. I think I've told you guys before. I lived there for two years, uh, a year by myself, and then a year of being married with my wife. And, I mean, after the first year, I was like, wow, Thanksgiving is, like, below 50 decibels. There's no glass on the floor. And, like, every time I heard sirens, it wasn't from my house. It was awesome. <laughs> it was great. And then after the next year, I was like, this is boring. This is kind of boring. And so I, I, I wanted to share with you guys uh, one of my craziest family members who has long since passed. Is we had, I had a, a grandpa, a great-grandpa, and his name was Pasquale. And Pasquale, we called him Paco. And uh, Paco, man, was great because, one, Paco really didn't know how to talk to children uh, because he's just, it's been a long time since I was a child and since he had had children or dealt with them. And so he would, the only way he knew how to deal with children was like, here's some candy, don't make a sound, and here's some soda, and don't let me see you. And it was tight. I loved it. I was all about it. I was like, oh, cool. But Paco, later in his life, it was crazy. Paco, unfortunately, had gotten uh, dementia. And he started losing his memory. And we came into Thanksgiving time, and I remember one of his last Thanksgivings we'd had. He was, you know, it was really hard for him to remember anybody. His own daughters, his son, any of us grandkids, after spending so much time with him. And uh, it was really hard on not just him, obviously, because he'd always be very confused, not understanding why people were around. But it got hard on our family, especially, you know, my grandmother. Uh, it's hard when her father can't remember who she is. And Thanksgiving is a time where we're supposed to come together and, and build memories, and here he is not being able to remember any of them, let alone make new ones. But it was around this last Thanksgiving, when the last he had, that my youngest sister was born. 
Uh, my sister's Marissa, and she's 14 years old. And Marissa and my family, being another Hispanic family, one thing you get is, one, a lot of whoopings, and two, you get a nickname. You don't know why you get a nickname. Every one of us get nicknames. The nicknames never make sense. You just get them. So, for example, growing up, I was always known as Chico. I don't know why I got that nickname. It had to do with some reason why I squint a lot, which I guess I squint a lot. And I got called Chico. My sister's name is Laura. They called her Pokey because she has really tan skin like the horse from Gumby. Uh, my brother, my youngest brother, was called Super because my mother thinks that he's a superhero. There's no favorites in my family, though. And lastly was Marissa. And when Marissa was born, Marissa just had so much hair. Like, I remember, like, when, they, when we first brought her home, I was just like, dang, that's a lot of hair. Like, we could already start picking her hair out and making her afro. It was awesome. She was very hairy, but she had these weird, just really scrawny, like, chicken legs. It was really small chicken legs. And it was so funny. So we deemed her the name Chicken Monkey. And we called her the Chicken Monkey. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Growing up, I, I think Marissa got called Chicken Monkey all the way into middle school. And it was embarrassing because our family just calls you that nickname. So I'd go to pick her up from school and be like, Chicken Monkey, it's time to go. Like, and just be like, stop calling me that. My name's Marissa. Whatever, Chicken Monkey. Like, whatever. And one thing we'd also call is Chicken Monkey. And, like, there was one time we saw this very funny. We went to the zoo one time, and there was this picture of a, of a little baby monkey like at the exhibit, and Marissa was like eating this like celery stick, and the picture of the monkey was eating a celery stick. So then we started just calling her Monkey Face, which made it even better, you know, for her starting to like boys and stuff. But she was born, and it was a big commodity in our family. You know, there's a newborn in, in the family, and as she'd grown up, she'd grown up, she'd start to know Paco. And I remember Paco finally was able. They had told us he wasn't going to make it very long, and we had his last our last Thanksgiving with him. And one of the things is we were coming around, and we'd say hi to him, and he'd say who we were, and we'd have to reintroduce ourselves. And he got to Marissa, and his face lit up, and he held Marissa, and he said, it's the monkey face. And it was something that blew my mother, my grandmother's heart away, to know that there's just some things in this life that you just can't afford to forget. To know that for once, my my great-grandpa was able to hold his great-granddaughter, remember that he had a lineage, remember he had a family, and it was one more memory that we made. But isn't it funny how the human memory works sometimes and then how selective it can be? You know, I'm very, I, 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 I think selective memory really plagues a lot of people today, especially my wife, because things that I did three years ago, I can't stop being reminded of. And so <laughs> I don't know if that's how any other husbands have that with their wives. Maybe it's a female thing, but I'm just saying I feel like I'm still paying for things I did in high school. Like, I don't know. <laughs> But what about, as we talk about Thanksgiving, we spend the holiday season every single year coming up to Thanksgiving. And for some of you guys, right after after Halloween, there is no Thanksgiving. It's just Christmas. Maybe you're like my wife, and that's how you roll. Because I came home October, like, 31st. It was all Halloween. And then I came home from work November 1st. And I'm not even joking you, wreath on the door, snow on the windows, and the record player playing. It's the most wonderful time. And she's just sitting there with a cup of hot cocoa, just like, welcome home. And it's like, all right, this is my life. But we spend this, it's so crazy, like out of all the 12 months, we spend these last two months, the end of November, kicking into Christmas, and all of a sudden, we are the most community-based, grace-filled, 
loving people, give thanks in everything, giving like we've never given before, camping out for a long time for these certain gifts on these certain deals so we can give for people to see their face light up for one day. And I think it's kind of ridiculous. Now, you may be thinking, you think that's ridiculous. I saw you on Facebook camp up for three days for donuts. That's a wholly different thing. I like donuts, and it's also for the youth students, but I also just really like donuts. And um, when it comes to it, it's so interesting to me that we take this time to give thanks to God, to give thanks to our families and things we have. But what about the other ten months of the year? In a sense, I'm asking, is our memory selective on God's faithfulness? Sometimes I'm, I'm so guilty of this in, in, in Thanksgiving time and Christmas time where I look to myself and I go, man, like, I'm thankful for all these things, but then I think about earlier in the year how I treated the family that I said I'm so thankful for. I think about those who don't, when we pray about, we pray for those who don't have somewhere to go this Thanksgiving, and I realize how many opportunities I could have had to speak that truth in their lives. And when it comes to God's faithfulness, we can be especially forgetful. A striking example that I had is in the book of Exodus, I was reading in chapter 14 and 16, it parallels over. In just the span of a couple of chapters, this is crazy to me, is we see that the Israelites are delivered from slavery from the Egyptians. And this is, that's a huge thing. Can you imagine? Something like that is a huge freedom. The only thing I could think about is like, I don't know about you guys. I'm not going to, this is an awkward time. I already make it uncomfortable for you enough with all the jokes about my family and everything like that. But I know that you guys can think just by a show of eyes. I could see it in your eyes, the crying in your eyes. How many guys have credit card debt? Oh, okay. I, I have credit card debt. I'm going down. I'm scared. You know, but I need that financial piece today. But credit card debt. Imagine having someone come over and just pay all the debt off, no interest, and say, you know what? You're free. You owe no one anything. And in a sense, all these people had accumulated so much credit card debt that they're literally enslaved to these people. And they've just been freed from it. God had delivered from it and said, you know what? You are my people. You're not meant to be enslaved. And he brought them through the Red Sea. And then in the span of a few chapters, they're starting to grumble to God about not having food to eat. Now, I know a lot of you guys have children. I do not have children. But I've seen uh, my family when we gather together that have children. And I know, and maybe some of you guys know when you see other parenting, I knew this is when, I, when I, one of my youngest cousins likes to look at his, his mom and say, no, I don't want to, I start to flinch. So I go, you don't do that. That's your, that's your parents, and they are not going to, you know, they're not going to respond well. And I don't think, I don't, I, sometimes I want to ask the kids, like some of the cousins, like get down on their level and be like, do you, what do you think is going to happen when you say no? Do you think they're going to go, your parents are going to go, you're right. You're six. You got it all figured out, you know. Here you go. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm just, you know, an adult that took you here and provided, you know. But in this sense, this is what they're doing. They're grumbling to God going, well, I want more. And it seems that they're very forgetful of God's faithfulness. And we want to say to them as people reading the scripture, we want to say, do you not remember what God just did for you? Like the water stood up in the Red Seas like two walls, and you just walked on through. And you're grumbling about food? Like the Red Sea's floor was dry. Don't you think the God who is capable of delivering you in that can give you food to eat? Trust him. That's what we're thinking. It's like, 
What is wrong with these people? But then, of course, we do the same sort of thing. God brings us through a trial, answers a prayer, and with a few days, it's almost like we've completely forgotten. And we've moved on. we moved on to the next problem, the next struggle, the next horizon, finding reasons to gripe and complain. But we have to find ways to remember God's faithfulness. Because you see, when we move on and we keep moving next to the next problem, next problem, next problem, and we forget about God's faithfulness, we start to forget that we are sinners. And I'll be the first one to always, to always speak up and say, you know, if, they, if I was ever hanging out like in a grocery store or in a club, because those are the same thing, right? And someone said, like, where are all my sinners at? I'd be the first to be like, ayo, over here. But I can, I can attest that sometimes I'm definitely not the best at admitting I'm a sinner through my actions. You see, we come here and we gather, and we act like we're okay. But in reality, remembering our sinfulness, remembering where we are, is a way that we can remember God's faithfulness. Because as the scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's when we remember how sinful we are, it almost makes it easier to evangelize and reach to other people. Because sometimes we reach people and we go, you know, they, they can't, they're not ready. When they're ready, God will get a hold of them, you know. And I'm guilty of saying that. You know, let them be in their time. God will, God will change life. God will get them, you know. And then I look at my life and go, I wonder if the person that led me to the Lord was thinking the same thing when I was in my sinful ways. Just think about our lives before we had God and to now we can see a huge transformation and we can really remember some of God's faithfulness. Really. But it's hard because we live in a a culture where identity so defines us. The gifts that we give define us. What we get defines us. What we wear defines us. We live in a culture where we say grace and send prayers, but no one admits there's a God. It's very backwards. It's very confusing. You see, I think that's where the enemy works the best is identity. And he uses fear to force you into identities that are not the identity that you're meant to have, a son or daughter of God. I am so guilty of this. I remember like even things that when you think you're doing well at, that starts to become an identity. Now, recently, I mean a couple of years ago when I was in Sacramento, I refused to accept that in my life that I was diagnosed with depression and issues like that. And I didn't want to handle that. I I avoided it at any cost with my wife in conversation. And then I started to embrace it and give it to God. And then as he started to deliver me from it, my identity became that I was this sad person that can help out other sad people. Not that I was first a person of God. And then I had these stories to share with other people about who God was and his faithfulness in my life. See, we're so quick to throw God off the throne of our lives and put ourselves on them when we're doing good. But I really believe that if we stopped and said, I'm a child of God first, and that's all I need to be, how much different Christianity would be? Because sometimes we think to be a good Christian, we, we come from the right leadership, we need to go to the right church, we need to go to the right small group, we need to do the right things. That's not it at all. 
it's being willing to know our identities and work towards that identity over every other thing in our lives, submit to it. I love it. There's a pastor named Jeff Vanderlis over at Soma Churches in Seattle, and their church defines that transformation of identity as complete, com- like complete transformation, bringing everything, your complete life, under the complete lordship of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not just talking about your Sundays to Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about your midweek to Jesus Christ. I'm talking your time, your money, your family, your job, what you say, your hobbies, what you do, because that's the transformation of the life that God's called of you. Everything about being a child of God. And like I said, I am so guilty of this. Identities can be in our jobs, our families, or whatever it may be. (coughs) Excuse me. But God's got some good ways of helping us out in this too. In Joshua chapter 3, we read of an amazing miracle that God performed for his people. You see, he caused the Jordan River to stop flowing so that they can cross into the promised land, which is a huge miracle again. And what they did, they're they're not going to make the same, same mistake twice. I mean, then again, Israel means people who rebel against God, so we know that's not true. But when they pass through, God instructs them through Joshua to gather 12 stones from the Jordan and set it up as a memorial. One man from each tribe was selected, it said, and they took a stone from the riverbed, and Joshua set them up as a sign, as remembrance. Remembrance of what God had accomplished for his people on that day. You see, God is so gracious to us. And it seems that sometimes we just kind of take. We give thanks and say grace at the Thanksgiving table, but we live for ourselves sometimes. It's such a a thing that's kind of opened my eyes, and even with my family. My family, I'm one of very few Christ-following people. And I'm not the best representation of it. I mean, if there was a a world of, if there was kind of a UN of religions, I probably would not be on the board of that, I feel like. So it's already hard enough to be the only, one of the only Christians in the family, let alone trying to live the best you can. You fit in with your identity and how you were brought up and all these things. And then I forget sometimes about how gracious God is. Most of the times I finish off uh, Thanksgivings telling my wife, like, man, I'm glad I like to see these people once a year sometimes. <laughs> And I think, I just got done saying grace, saying how thankful I am for this family. I'm really abusing grace and abusing my identity in God. But God is so gracious. And he knows that sometimes we have spiritual amnesia of where we've, he's brought us through. Because honestly, I can look back on my life and I talk about and joke about my family gathering Thanksgiving. But only a few years ago, we didn't gather for Thanksgiving. Because there was no family to bring together. Everyone hated everything and everyone in the family. This person had a problem with this person. This person said something and didn't have this person's back, so they're not coming. And this person, because they said something, they were mad that somebody didn't back them up, so they're not hanging out with that person. And then this person was mad because they were mad that when they were talking about it, they were too busy playing with their dog. Now they're mad at the dog because the dog has more attention. It was just really bad. And then I look at it. And I say thanks for this family, and I get mad, and I leave going, man, I'm just glad that's over. I just couldn't handle it. Where's my, medic- where's my medication? I need that. <laughs> and I realized there wasn't a family in the first place 
we look at this memorial, they didn't carve a statue out. They didn't have a plaque that was hung beautifully there. It was just 12 stones. We have a Thanksgiving feast for my family. It may not be, it may not be a statue, but it's sure 12 stones that God is gracious. And because we are so forgetful, because of our spiritual amnesia, he gives us memorials. He commands us to do certain things to serve as reminders. And I've come up with these next two weeks as we talk six different ways that we can start to remember who God is and also remember his faithfulness for us. And so since I'm a very visual learner, I'm going to write them down for you guys. I don't really have notes, but I'm going to write them down. If you feel free to write them down. The first one I have for you guys is we need to think. See if it shows up. Yeah. Technology, right? It's cool. You have a millennial preaching at you, so you're going to get that. Sorry. (laughs) Told you. But think, think back. What are some events that you can look back on as piles of stone in your family? For me, it's the fact that we gather for Thanksgiving. It's the fact that a great-grandpa could remember the monkey face. It could be the fact that, you know, at one point I wasn't able to sit across the table from this person. I wouldn't even show up in the same house as them. But now I could sit at one end of the table while they're at the other end of the table, and that's enough for me as long as the cornucopia is blocking us, you know? But what are those piles of stones, those marking, defining moments for you? A moment where God showed his power, and it may not be in a miraculous way that we read about in scriptures, but for your life it's miraculous. You see, how do we expect anyone to validate our feelings if we will not validate theirs? What's a miracle to us may not be a miracle to others, but what's a miracle to others may not be a miracle to us. That's because we all have a relationship with God. And do you think everyone's going to be the same? Because we're all so different. But we can actually celebrate and look at more stones and go, man, look at all these memorials in other people's lives. God is working. Sometimes we can get down, especially being in a smaller church, thinking, is God working? I don't know. I mean, is God working is, is... is a rough question to ask. Does God ever stop? No. Do we stop trying to pay attention? Most likely. That's the roughest part about being a Christian, I think, is you're arguing with a perfect God. I wonder if God's doing this right. What does God have in store? He knows. It's us. And that's the hardest for me because growing up in a house of like seven people in a home, it's like two-bedroom, three-bedroom home, well, two-bedroom that we made a three-bedroom home. <laughs> it was really hard to hold your tongue. The best way that you got your point across was by shouting. And then the worst of words that you could say was the best way to, to win. It wasn't about building each other up so that you could see each other on a level and respect each other. It was, well, if I'm going down, everybody in this house is going down with me. So you do this. I mean, I remember, like, every time one of us siblings got in trouble, there's four of us. If one of us went down it was time to just rat on everybody. Oh, well, they were doing this. They, they hid the report card from you. It's been in the mail since like three months ago. What? You're going down with me. If I'm going to jail, you're all going with me. You know, that's kind of how it went. And then that person would rat him out. That's not even fair. The only reason that I hit it, though, was because I was doing a favor for, you know, my brother because he accidentally, like, killed the cat and threw it over the fence. You said the cat was missing. You're going down with me, too. 
It was basically Alcatraz in this house. Just, there was no rules. Martial law ruled everything. But we can look back on these things and say God has shown his power in a very clear way and say that we don't need to bring people down. We can start to look up and go, I just need to think about these moments now and how I can grow from them. You see, God works, and it's hard to say, it's me that's stopping it my life from working. It's me picking other identities. It's me doing this. It's me doing that. But when we stop and think, that's when we can start to really open up and identify. In Psalms uh, 77, verse 12, it says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. I think that's such an awesome scripture about thinking about the greatness of God. And one thing I want to to push forward is I've come to learn that a win is a win any way you shake it. I've learned this growing up, not only because of my family or just because of my walk with God, but because growing up naturally, I was a Raiders fan. So a win's a win, you know? And now we're actually doing okay. And now I actually am proud to wear some of the silver, silver and black. But growing up... You would hear it on the newspaper. It'd be like, "Wins a win. We're taking it. You're two and fourteen. A win's a win. It's better than zero and sixteen. You know. It's times that we got to think about the work and the mighty deeds that God's doing on our lives. And for us, it may seem like a huge thing, and to others, it may seem like a minuscule thing. But we still have to celebrate it, as huge as it is in our hearts, because God is celebrated that way. The next thing we need to do is to thank. Engage your heart in a gratitude for what God has done. And I'm not talking just saying grace. But thanking, and if it's people, thanking people, if it's through things you have, showing that gratitude. My favorite quote of all time is is St. Francis of Assisi's when asked, when is it appropriate to preach the gospel? When should you preach the gospel? He says you should preach the gospel every moment of every day. And when necessary, use words. That's such how we should be thanking God. This is as such as we should be thinking about God. It's through our action. Christ walked among the people and loved the people. And they knew that he loved them. Not just because he said it, because what he did. Love was shown not by an I love you, but by a man being nailed on the cross for you. And in the same way, we could thank people that way through action. Because even in that thankfulness and through that with thankfulness to God, but to the people and things in our life, the transformation will be huge and we could speak more truth in their life. President Teddy Roosevelt used to say, nobody cares what you know if they don't know you care. How true is that? Uh, Here at the church, one thing that I have a really cool, I think it's an honor, I think an honor to do, is I I play with a band and I love hanging out and going to concerts. Probably nothing that any of you guys want to go to. Really into hardcore polka. It's my thing. (laughs) Not really. but I listen to a lot of heavy music, a lot of hardcore music. And uh, a lot of you guys don't know, we occasionally... Uh, we throw concerts here at the church, and I invite my friends out to have these concerts to reach out to kids um, who don't go to church but like going to these concerts. They don't have to drive very far, 
and uh, get to talk to him a little bit. And recently, it's been, it was a slow start. It's been rough. It's been fun. Uh, but this week alone, we have the two separate concerts here with all these bumps. That is my fight song, too. <laughs> my favorite song, actually. But um, one of the things, that we had this concert here with all these metal bands, and my wife and I were here, and, you know, some of the bands were just a little too much for me. You know, they were just a little too too angry for, for 9 o'clock at night because that's bedtime for me. I don't know about you. I may be 25, but I am a, like, 90-year-old man at heart. At 8, 8 p.m., it's time for jammies and, like, Gilmore Girls on Netflix. That's what's happening with me. I don't know about you, but these guys came on stage, and I remember just seeing the anger in them. And one guy came up here yelling with the mic. And he goes, I want to see you get angry on someone's soul. And I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even want to participate in that. And uh, that same band we'd seen a while ago had come back and played here again. And I don't know if you guys could see in the back there, right by the sound booth, they wanted to put on a concert here for the cost of food, canned food. We have 780 cans of food that people with holes in their faces and tattoos on their mouths, like legitimately someone had a tattoo on their mouth, it was tight they brought to help people, gave to the church to see if there's anyone that needs it, and if so, just give it to pantries. And then last night, uh, one of the people that played came up to me and had shared about his his hurting, and it was amazing to me because he talked about, pulled me aside and said, hey, I need to talk to you. My my mom has cancer. She's not going to make it. And I don't know anybody in my life that knows who God is, and I want to seek him. You're the only person I know that believes in a God. And I was so taken back by it. One, because this is someone that you, you do these, you know, sometimes you get in these routines at work or with your family and all these things and your, and your friends. And you, you, you want these things to happen, but you're never ready. It's kind of like when you had your first kid. You know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm for it, but I'm just, you're never ready for it, you know. And here he is, and I want to pray the Lord Jesus Christ into my life. And in that moment, I realized if I didn't live out thankfully that way, if I didn't just continue to to show my love and appreciation, not through preaching at him, but just showing my identity in him and thanking God for it and thanking him for being in my life and letting me speak in his life, he said he only knew one person who knew God, and that might be you today. You may be the only form of God that anyone sees. And if we're not living out thankfully through action, then we may be missing out on some awesome moments. Psalms 9.1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. All of them. I look back on 2016. I know a lot of us, we look back on this year and we take a lot of L's. It's a rough one. I don't know if I can handle another year without Robin Williams. I was hoping for an Aladdin too. But it's been a rough a rough year for some people. I know in my life it was really rough starting off this year thinking I might lose my grandma who basically raised me to cancer. I remember it was a rough year having a family member of mine tell me he didn't want to be my family anymore. It was a rough year, even up to a couple of weeks ago, 
when my family's planning Thanksgiving and I wasn't invited. And it's those moments when we could choose our identity to be in those things or in God. It is hard to pick the other. Trust me, because everything in my body wants to say, I'll just give you what you want, just let me be a part of this family. I'll give you what you want, just let me still be your husband. I'll give you what you want, still be my friend. I'll give you what you want, just let me keep my job. But it's hard to say you can take anything from me. But as long as I have God, I have everything. I had to stand, and my last thing is, is we talk about here, that we're going to talk about today, is to tell. Once we've spent time remembering and thinking that the Lord has done great things for us, the joy of the memories and the overflow in our conversations with those around us, we need to begin to tell. You see, in Joshua 4, we find that there's this, uh, this instruction specifically regarding children. In Joshua 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, it says, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground on this day. I realized in my life this last week that I was living in unacceptance and I was living in an identity that I'm, I'm right and someone's wrong. I had a disagreement with a family member of mine that I was my best friend on a lifestyle choice that they'd chosen, on a decision they chose, and in deciding that, had separated and said, I don't want to be family with you if you can't be cool with this. And although scripturally speaking, most people would say, you're right on that. My identity became so much in being right rather than being loved. And I had to stop and think, and I needed to tell that person. So I did one of the hardest things that I've had to do. One is to confront them and call them. Let me take you to breakfast. And in sharing that, I was, I'm was i talking about my brother. My own brother didn't want to really be in my life. Last six, seven months, he didn't want to talk to me. It was hard because growing up, I only have one brother. He's my younger brother, and I looked out for the kid for my whole life, and I love him with all my heart. And to come back to, from Sacramento, one of the biggest things, I came back, my wife and I with no job, and the biggest thing I looked forward to was a relationship with my brother again, hanging out every day. And to go from hanging out every day to just possibly never having him in your life again, it's rough. Maybe some of you out there have lost a family member, whether it's through disagreeing or through just just tragedy of losing them to death. But it hurt me so bad to know that all of this separated us all. And I sat there, and he had a problem. His, I had problems with his marriage and things that they did. And I sat him down, and the bottom line was I was just hurt, and I shared with him my heart to probably no avail and in doing that, I had to come to say, this is what I feel, and I accept that I feel this way, because at the end of the day, I'm just a child of God, and I'm trying. 
And I'm going to look back on this day and say, these are some stones, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I sat there and I talked to him and he kind of blew back up at me. And it's in those moments that God can build some stones because he looked back and he said, you think my marriage is perfect? This is what happens. And he blew up just spilling out all the dirt sheets. And I'm just thinking this is pointless. And you may be thinking in your life when you go and tell and you go share that it's pointless. They're not going to listen. I'm sitting in that moment just like you have been before. And he stops and he says, at the end of the day, we, we argue, we do all this, and then all I want to do, and he stops. I'm like, what? What? Go ahead and say it. You've already said everything else. And he looked up at me and he was breaking up. And he said, all I want to do is call you, but I know I messed up and you don't want to hear from me. You see, the devil loves doing that. He loves telling your identity is in something else, and so you've got to live with this mistake. We love, we love carrying the cross that Jesus already died on. We love it. But it's in those moments that we confuse our identity that Christ is the one that died so that we didn't need to and we can live freely from that. It's when, that's when the transformation really happens and the tell happens. If I would have never told, I would have never known and at that moment on that day, at a yellow basket in Wildemar, your fathers crossed the Jordan River. It was on that day that I sat there and I called my wife and said, I'm going to hang out with my brother tomorrow. It was on that day that I got to feel for a moment my brother was lost and now he's found And it's in that moment that I understood how the father in the story of the prodigal son felt when he said, kill the fattened calf and let's party. And in this case, it was just breakfast burritos, though. I went to a butcher shop. Cats are too expensive for me, at least on a student ministry salary. But um, (coughs) my question is to you guys today. Will you think, will you thank, and will you tell when you say grace this Thursday? Will you think, will you thank, and will you tell today? Today we're going to close out the service today. We're sharing as a family in a feast of our own, commemorating the Last Supper. And uh, as I invite Becca up here, she's going to close us out with that song again. The Broken Vessels, and we sing of the amazing grace of God and how sweet the sound of it is. And we hear that melody and we think how sweet that is, but in the amazing grace of God that we can be transformed in our families and our relationships and things that we thought were once dirt and pointless that we grumbled over, we can celebrate today as amazing grace. I encourage you guys as we sing this song, as we take communion together, to think about.